So here at Pottstown Bible, we're going through the entire book, really a letter of Romans. And we're doing it the old-fashioned expository way, verse by verse by verse. Because I want you to think about it. If you wrote somebody a letter that you really loved and cared about, if you wrote a three or four-page letter, and you had that letter delivered to that person, I'm sure you would want that person to read the entire letter, not just a portion of it or half of it. If you have your whole thoughts conveyed and what you wanted to say to that person, you'd like, you know what, I want to make sure they read the whole letter. So we're going to go through the whole letter of Romans, so to speak, and really unpack what Paul was trying to tell this young church in Rome that he had longed to see but wasn't able to get there right away. So we're going to continue. We're going to be in chapter 7. And I want to read verses 6 through 12. We're really going to unpack really 7 through 11. So follow along with me. If you have your Bibles with you. Romans chapter 7. I have it up on the screen here. Um, so let's start at verse 6 here. Now this is on the ESV up here. Once Cheryl brings it up. And... Uh, I'm going to read out of the NASB, but it's very close to the same thing. So starting at verse 6. <clears throat> but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we can serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? I like how the King James says it. God forbid. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet, but sin. Not the law, but sin. Taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting Notice the text, church, of every kind. Coveting of every kind, all kinds of coveting. For apart from the law, sin is dead. <clears throat> I, once was, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin became alive, I realized it, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. And verse 12. So then, the law is hagiosmos. It's holy. The entole, the commandment, is holy. It's righteous and it's good. Amen? So I'm going to just take a little review of what we unpacked starting at slide 5 from last week because we learned that we had been released from the law. So I want to make sure we remember what Paul said. So I'd like to take a verse or two from last week and kind of bring us back up to speed as we move forward. So look at the text here. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Now, I want you to notice again that word release, slide six. Greek word here is katereo. 
You remember what it means. It means to be discharged, to be set free. If you remember last week, it talk, talks about a soldier that gets an honorable discharge. He's now no longer under the jurisdiction of the military. So Paul says, listen, we've been discharged. We've been set free from the spiritual liabilities and penalties under God's law. Then we also look, slide 7, at the church at Galatia. Paul wrote to this church in Galatia. What does Paul say? Now look at this verse closely. Christ has rescued us or redeemed us from what? He redeemed us from the curse that was pronounced by the law. When he was hung on that cross, you see that? How, this is how it took place. He was hung on the cross. While he was there, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, church. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, I shared with you last week, and I think it's important to understand what Paul was talking about here. When Paul says, we have been, slide 8, redeemed us, Christ redeemed us, that Greek word there is an important word. Okay, exengorasena, redeemed, ek from the kataras, the curse. That word ek there, at the beginning of that word that you see there, is where, if you guys been to this church any time, you learn that's where we get the word exit from. Right? Ek, exit. So, we've been redeemed from the curse. Okay? Redeemed meaning what? Slide 8. To buy back, to ransom. Christ purchased us with his blood from that curse of the law. So what did Paul mean when Paul used that word curse? He was not talking about profanity here. He's talking about pronouncing a curse. That word means to invoke evil upon someone. Now the Hebrew idea is to, to devote someone to utter doom or destruction, and that's what the law would do. We could never keep the law. So we can see that Paul's using a very strong word here. And we also learned that it was important for us to always remember that freedom, now listen, church, this is important. <clears throat> freedom from the law's bondage in no way means we are free to continue to sin and practice sin, and that's what the law forbids. We also look, well, how's that made possible? We looked at how we're empowered to be able to serve the Lord, slide 10. So that we can serve. This is the last part of verse 6, so that we can serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. And that word serve is also an important word. So that word in the original language has the idea of a person who was a slave. And that slave's sole purpose was to serve and obey his master. So we're enabled, we're empowered by God the Holy Spirit to serve as a slave for Christ, who's our master, and to serve in newness. Now, that word we also look back in chapter 6. That's another important word. The word newness there actually has the idea of a fresh, new quality. What does that mean, church? Listen, when God the Holy Spirit comes in and makes us alive, he puts in us a fresh, new quality of life. We don't have to live the way we used to live before we came to faith in Christ. That's the kenotes. That's 
that's a not just a renewal, but that's a brand new, fresh, new quality of life. And that means that you and I are now empowered by God the Holy Spirit to serve the Lord as his slave. Then we arrived at verse 7, slide 11. <clears throat> See, Paul knows what they're thinking here. You know, he, he has a pretty good idea because he's dealing to Jews as well as Gentiles. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. And if you remember from last week's teaching, May Genitoi, that means don't even let that thought birth in your mind that the law is sin. Put it out of your Don't even let it become a thought. He says, on the contrary. Paul says, listen, I wouldn't have come to know sin. I wouldn't have been able to recognize sin except through the law. I would not have known fully or understood the depth of this intense desire about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So what can we take away from that teaching? Slide 12. The law reveals some things, church. It reveals to us that sin is, in fact, something that really exists. So what does the namas, the law, do? It awakens a person to the truth and reality of sin. The law awakens a person to see that he or she is, in fact, a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It also shows a person that that person does not always obey God's will and can't. We can't keep the law. We're guilty of breaking the law. And, and if, remember last week, if I break one part of the law, I've broken the whole law. Our Bible's the one that broke it, and we call it the Ten Commandments, but it was really just one long law. So Paul wants us to understand that he really never comprehended the power of lust. By the way, that word there, coveting, is where we get the word epithemia. It's yearning after the things that are forbidden, if you remember from last week. So he never really comprehended that power of lust and desire in himself until he was enlightened by a true nature and understanding of the law. The law had brought Paul to a place where Paul now sees the meaning of sin, and more importantly, Paul also sees his own sinful condition because of the power of the lust that he now recognizes is in him. He came to see all manner of lust and evil thoughts and desires were in his mind and heart. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones actually pens it this way. He says, our minds are a cesspool of iniquity. Slide 13. How about our minds, church? Be honest this morning with the Lord. Have your mind and my mind, have our minds ever been this cesspool of iniquity? I know mine has. How about you? Have any of us ever had impure thoughts and, and imaginations that were impure? Let's be honest. Paul says that the law awakened that in him. This is essentially what Paul is saying about his own mind. And we looked last week at the, these words know and known. There are actually two different Greek words used in that sentence for our English word know. Slide 14. What does Paul mean? Well, the first word, the eggnon, the verneau, slide 14. Well, that word know there. Paul's saying it has the uh, idea of comprehending or understanding the meaning of sin by the law. So that no there is really comprehension and understanding. But then he also says, I would not have known, fully understood the depths of the intense desire. Sex, the second word there is hedain, has the idea of an absolute knowledge that comes by experience. Okay, 
So you can see what the play on words he's doing there. So he would have never understood and also felt in the very depths of his being and had experienced the meaning of lust and the part of plays in his life apart from the law. Martin Lloyd-Jones also says this in slide 15. The law not only brought Paul to see that to lust was sin, but it had also brought to him to see the terrible power of lust in his own life. How about a slide 16, church? <clears throat> Based on the text, have you and I yet come to see how terrible lust has harmed our lives and our walk with the Lord? If I'm yearning after those things that are forbidden, if I'm yearning and I have a, desire, a desire for these things and they replace the Lord in my life because I want these things and I feel I'm entitled to them and deserve them and God gets pushed out of the way, Paul started to recognize that through the law. And church, apart from the law, none of us have any real way of accurately judging our own sinfulness. Only God's law truly reveals to us God's perfect standard of righteousness. Let's look at, let's look at verse 8 now, slide 17 and 18. But sin, taking literally in the Greek, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Look at the New Living Translations of it. <clears throat> but sin, the sin inside me, use this command, thou shalt not covet, was the command he's talking about, to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would have no power. So I want you to see that word opportunity there. Greek word is aphromane. So Paul, what did you mean by opportunity? Well, there's a little bit more of a strong force on this word, as you can see up on the overhead there. Okay, this isn't just like, oh, I have an opportunity to get a job. It's a little bit deeper than that. Okay, this aphromane, this word here, uh, it has the idea to make a start from a place, taking occasion in military terms. This word here has the idea of a base in which you make your preparations from which you set out on your campaign. Think about that. Think about my heart being a base of operation where I'm preparing to set out because I see that, I want that, and I'm going after that. God, uh, your, your word is now silent because I'm going after that. I want that and only that, Lord. I don't want anybody to get my way. So, very powerful word that Paul's using here. So we could say then that sin makes use of the commandment as a base of operation. It's important to understand that the sin is not within the commandment, nor is the law sinful. That's not what he's saying here. Sin is inside you and I. Well, where else does it say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Slide 20. How about Romans 5.12? Just as through one man, Adam, Adam, sin enters into the world, Death through sin. So what happens? Death spread to how many men? Oh, all men. Because all have what? Sin. So here's another way of understanding this teaching. Consider what a fulcrum is. What's a fulcrum, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, a fulcrum is the point in which a lever rests or is supported on something which pivots. 
So I want you to think for a moment, if I had a real big, heavy, large stone here, I can't even begin to lift the stone out of the way on my own strength. So what I do, well, I grab this long pole, then I grab a round log, put the, the, the log close to the pole, and then I put the pole underneath it, and I now use the pole to leverage the stone and move that object, right? So I pivot and prop up the stone, and I'm able to move it. Well, here's another way in our modern vernacular. Have you ever, guys, ever used a jack to fix a car? You ever sit there and you're cranking the jack and you're cranking it? Well, there's a fulcrum in there because you're not going to sit there and go, oh, I'm going to lift the car up. I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger. I can't lift the car up. So I need a jack to lift the car up, right? So the jack is used to lift the car up to fix a flat. So sin is kind of using the law as a fulcrum. And what sin does is able to move our resistance over and out of the way to produce its result. So the law says stop, don't go any farther, don't trespass. So the law that is there now it's aroused something in me because, oh, wow, there's coveting in me. So I'm going to kind of pivot away from the law because I want my own way. Anybody ever been there? Mm, it's getting quiet now, Dr. Carter. So Paul says, sin seizing the opportunity produced in me all kinds of coveting. So how does it show up? How does it produce in me full act of rebellion or coveting, the epithemian? Slide 22. Well, it shows up a couple ways. Our urge to sin. Our fondness of sin. Let's face it, we sin because we want something when we like it. Our selfish appetites. You know what's really interesting? You've heard me kind of attack a little bit of social media. You know what people don't realize about things like Facebook and Instagram? When people are sitting there and they're scrolling, and because they, they, they're, all, they're looking for all these likes. Well, when you're doing that, do you notice that act, that, that activates your dopamine levels in your brain? And it operates exactly the same way as if you're doing crack, heroin, oxycodone, pornography. The same pleasure centers are there and that dopamine is released because people want to, I want to see how many likes I got. I want to see if people are responding. And so all of a sudden, our appetites are aroused. And the next thing you know, social media and the video games take more and more and more. And those appetites start to overwhelm us. And then we start becoming self-centered. Beware where you get for your information from. Well, where else did that show up? Do you realize all the way back in Genesis 6, 5, next slide, 23, it, show, it showed up there. Yahweh saw that the wickedness, the evil and thoughts in life and moral corruption inside man was great on the earth. And that every intent, every motive, every purpose of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. You see that? So you can see scripture validating scripture. How about the NLT? It puts it this way, slide 24. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Think with me this morning. Think closely about this for a morning. Think about what you're learning about the law, coveting, the importance of the law, that law is not sin, and how things get aroused inside of you. Think this morning. When a person is told not to do something, 
Isn't it interesting that something inside that person is stirred up and the person wants to do it? Why? We want our independence. We want our autonomy. We don't want an, a God telling us what to do, let alone anyone else. What did David say in Psalm 25, Psalm 58.3? The wicked are estranged, turning away from the womb. These who speak lies go astray. They wander away from the truth. They're estranged from the womb. They speak lies and go astray. They wander away from truth. Church, ask yourself this morning, how does that show up in our lives? What are the things that we allow into our lives that cause us to wander away from the truth because we want what we want? And I know this is hard to fit in the ear, as my father-in-law says, but it's got to be preached, and we got to deal with it. Think about it. We, we've all been there. It describes you, me, all of us. When a person is confronted with God's law, what is forbidden becomes attractive. Our self-will becomes front and center. Many times, the desire to do what is forbidden is so strong inside of us, it becomes inflamed because we keep feeding it to the point that we end up doing it even though we know it's wrong and it's sin, but we want what we want anyway. It's just like, you know, the bottle or your family, the drugs or your job. What wins? You see, it's not the law that violates the person. It is the person who chooses to violate and break God's law. The law never forces a person to sin. The person chooses to break the law by deliberately going against it, turning away from what it says. Paul finishes up that verse. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Sin is able to condemn without the law. Hear me this morning. When a person comes face to face with God's law and really looks at it, really looks at it, really looks at the Ten Commandments, really looks at the law, and he sees it and he starts to read it, he begins to learn of his true condition. And the Holy Spirit begins to enlighten that person's mind. And that person starts to see just how corrupt and wicked that person really is. And that they come to a place to realize, you know what? I can't save myself. I will never be good enough to earn my way into heaven. Because I've broken these laws. I've lied, cheated, stolen, used God's name as a cuss word, coveted yearned after what was not I wasn't supposed to do, not, not taking the day to spend with the Lord because it's too busy. I have to go to these games and do all these things. So what does this person do? The Holy Spirit's in them and wakes them up. They call out to God to save that person. Have you called out to God to save you? Because here's one thing you've got to understand. Someday you're going to drop dead. Someday they're going to come and hit you with the paddles. You're not coming back. You're not going to be able to say, if you sat in these sermons and heard this, I didn't know any better, because you know you'd be lying, and there's another one. You shouldn't lie. So now is the time to get right with God while you're still alive, because it's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. Please understand this. You do not get a second chance. God doesn't do backroom deals. Understand it. The law is not sin. 
We are sinners. God gave us the law to show us our condition so that our hearts turn away from living the way we're living and turn to Christ. And Paul unpacks this a little bit more in verse 9. He's given a little bit now of his testimony. He says, you know, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin became alive and I died. Once. What does Paul mean? I was once alive. Slide 27. Hotay. See, Paul's talking to us about the position he was in before he got saved and came to understand the law. He was living apart, apart from the law. How do we make sense of this? Because we're, we're, if we learn about Paul, Paul was a highly trained Pharisee. So he was not apart from the law in the sense of not knowing what the law said or taught. He sat at the feet of one of the most uh, popular uh, rabbis of the day, Gamaliel. He was a highly trained Pharisee. He knew the law inside out, backwards, forward, sideways. But Paul was under a false thinking that he was living his life in a way that was pleasing to God. He was confident. He was satisfied with his life as a Pharisee, thinking about how wonderful he was at keeping the law. He felt alive. He felt, he felt strong, church. Well, where do we get this insight from Paul? Well, look at slide 28. Look at Philippians 3, 4 through 6. So this is what Paul says. You know, he says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Why? I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. Paul actually thought he was blameless. Slide 29. How about us? Don't we also tend to think this way? I'm not so bad. Look at what so-and-so is doing over there. I'm not so bad at all. Don't we tend to think that way? I'm a good person. I don't try to do things wrong. Slide 30. Paul came to realize that he was only serving Slide 30, the oldness of the law. So without a true understanding of the law, thinking it would save him, sin was dead in the sense that he never thought that it was part of his life. He never considered himself a sinner. He was alive apart from the law. You see, church, he realized that the law was not really doing a work in his mind and heart. You see, the law wasn't penetrating down where it was supposed to penetrate and go. But when the Holy Spirit gets a part of you, He opens you up from the inside out. And Paul says, but when the entole, when the commandment came, wait a minute, Paul. The commandment was always right there in front of you, Paul. You were the expert, Paul. Paul is saying that the law, the commandment, didn't penetrate his heart with the conviction and the true understanding, even with all of his studies and expertise. He did not fully understand sin's power in his life. Slide 31. I think this is true of all of us, church. Do we, listen this morning, do we yet understand how powerful sin is in our own lives? It's powerful in our lives. 
There's a war going on in here, church. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When you've got the Holy Spirit in you, this book becomes alive to you. Important that we understand that. But so, as far as Paul is concerned, sin was dead in his life. Think with me for a moment. Church, just think with me. How deceived a person can be. How many people do we know live out each day thinking that we're a good people or they're a good person? They're all right. God accepts them just the way they are. By the way, there's nowhere in the Bible that says God accepts you just the way you are. We say that. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Read Romans chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. It doesn't say that. Their whole foundation is built on self-effort and pride, one of the worst sins a person commits. So when the commandment came in, what happened to Paul? The question of coveting started to become illuminated in his life as God the Holy Spirit started to illuminate that word in his life. Now the realization of the spiritual character of the law began to do its work. It now began to penetrate down deep into parts, uh, into his heart and soul. Everything in Paul's life now went in reverse. That road to Emmaus for Paul. Sin became alive, and I died. Slide 32, alive. Became alive. See the words there in our English? Okay, became alive. And that's an important word. An echosane is the word. To be alive again. To recover life. You see, sin, which was dead to him, has now life. The activity of coveting is now alive in the sense that Paul now understands just how vile and wretched he really is. See, the law has revealed to Paul the power and nature of sin in his life. That's why you have to get in the Word, church. You have to get in the Word. Paul had now come to recognize and understand how deceitful incredibly deceitful and powerful sin is and how impossible it is for him or any of us to be able to keep the demands of the law. The Holy Spirit convicted Paul of his own sinfulness and his own unrighteousness and made Paul see that he was helpless without Jesus Christ. I am helpless without him. You are helpless without him. What did Paul tell the church in Philippi? Look at slides 33 and 34 and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. By the way, that's capital H. That's talking about Christ. Ha, not having a righteousness of my own that's derived from trying to keep the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Those words should be underlined in your Bible. Faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You're not saved by law or by being a good person. You're saved when you come to a saving faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what it's telling us. The NLT puts it this way. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Power of His resurrection. Fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death in order that I may attain resurrection from the dead. So here, let's, let's look at the summation of what Paul's been teaching. Slide 35 and 36. 
Paul says, this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. He came to understand the simpleness of his life. For sin, not the law, taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. Sin is the antecedent there. Sin deceived me, and through it it killed me. The NLT puts it this way. I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, because that's the way the Jews thought, keep the law, you're a Jew, you're a nation of Israel, you get in because of that. So Paul was thinking the commands were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death to him instead because he now started to see his sinful condition. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me and used the commands to kill me. So we've now learned that sin and not the law is the real deceiver, as verse 11 is teaching you. We've already learned that sin used the law as a base of operation. We're almost done. Slide 37 and 38. <clears throat> Remember, but sin, seizing the opportunity. Again, as we've also learned, Paul was self-deceived into thinking he was able to keep the law. He says, so I discovered the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought death. So here again, the law shows the true condition of all of us, of man. Paul realized he was a sinner, and he will face death. You know the Bible says that, right? For the wages of sin is death. There's a paycheck you're going to get for sin. That's, that check is death. Paul, as well as the Jews, thought, hey, if we can keep the law, we can earn God's acceptance, we can work our way into heaven, but as we learned, it brought death. What did Paul, what Paul had thought was the way to gain eternal life by trying to be a good person to keep the law resulted in death. And then slide 38, which they have up there, sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. <clears throat> Let me see if I can wrap this up for you. He's reiterating to you and I that he thought he was acceptable to God because of his own good works, because he was a good person. Do you think that of yourself this morning? I want you to be thinking this morning. Just pay attention for a moment and think this through. Do you think that you're going to be able to get into glory by being a good person? What did the law do? It showed him his failure. It showed him his sin nature. It revealed to Paul how helpless he was. Why does Paul keep repeating all of this over and over again to us, church? The true biblical doctrine of sin is very important for all of us to understand if we're ever going to really understand the doctrine of salvation, what are you being saved from? Where's your hope come from, right? The moral state of our country is under the power of sin, isn't it? It no longer addresses sin or talks about it, doesn't believe it. It's not dealt with in most homes. There's no punishment, not even in our schools. People in California can go to the store, rob and steal and pillage, take whatever they want. The store doesn't want to prosecute them. The cops don't show up. Many churches today will not address what we've been addressing this morning from the pulpit. They don't want to do that. They don't want to offend people. They want them coming to church, singing Kumbaya and everybody's good. Jesus is my special friend. They don't See, what I'm preaching this morning is actually part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel. So the law reveals to all of us God's way of holiness 
God's way of righteousness. Because remember, Jesus did something for you you couldn't do for yourself. He kept the whole law. And then finally, remember the law is our tutor to teach us, instruct of how to live righteously. I want to close with this slide, 39 and 40. Paul writing to Titus, his church. Paul says this. For we also were once foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We spent our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Sound familiar today? But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. Look at verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. He saved us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, being made right, being declared right by his grace, not by the law, but by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So I want you to think about this morning as I close. I don't know how else to say it. Someday you are going to draw your last breath. And if you think you're going to be getting into heaven because you were just a good person and you did good things, helped the old lady across the street and all that other stuff, you're really being fooled. Very, very important that you understand that. I'm here to encourage you today to do something. If you look at the Ten Commandments, every one of us are broken. If we've ever lied, how many lies does somebody have to tell to be a liar? How many banks does a bank robber have to rob before he's considered a bank robber? Okay, I want you to think about that. We've lied. We've stolen. Anybody ever use God's name as a cuss word? Oh, okay. That's blasphemy. All right. Coveting what other people have we want for ourselves. Think about it. If God was to judge you and I on judgment day, we're lawbreakers. And you all know one thing. It's the responsibility of a judge to do something, to mete out justice, to pronounce a verdict. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what do you think about this morning? There's only one way you and I will ever be ushered into glory. And that's through the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross of Calvary. That blood not only cleans you up from your past sins, that blood cleans you up from your present sins and your future sins and continues to wash away sin. You can't earn it. There's only two things I've learned from Scripture about being saved. Repent and believe. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Repent and believe. If you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Christ this morning. You know what? The world is spiraling so quickly out of control. We could be at World War III at any time now. I could go on and on and talk about our artificial intelligence and some of the new stuff that's coming out that is really, really frightening. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I just want to encourage you 
to surrender your life to Christ. If you go home today and keep living the same way you lived before you ever got saved, do not sit there and be angry at God if you get killed or you die from something and you stand before him because the Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. So if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Christ. Confess your sins to him. Place your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And you shoe his name.